Good morning. Hello, hello. Good morning. I love the excitement from like five people. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome back. We're so happy to have you here. Uh, my name is Taylor. I am Shannon's assistant. Last year I promoted myself to manager. So this year I'm hoping she'll let me be the CEO, but I'm not sure if that's gonna happen or not. Um, feel free to leave me a review. Um, we have a few announcements this morning. I just wanted to take a second and um, introduce you to the pastor of Life Church. We are in Life Church right now, um, and they have so graciously allowed us to use our facility on Tuesday. So I just wanted to briefly introduce you to Derek, the pastor, and then he has a couple announcements about Life Church and parking. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, if you haven't had a chance to hear Shannon speak, I want you to know that, um, and I'm, I've been to three different seminaries, uh, that's not what I want you to know, but what I want you to know is that uh, she is the best woman Bible teacher that I personally have ever heard, that's the truth. Now, if you want to know the second best I've ever heard, it's right back there, it's Diana, uh, who's on staff with us, and so just in case... <laughs> That's no lie either. Absolutely. Um, Shannon is absolutely phenomenal. I've known her for how many years now? A long time. Yeah, yeah. And um, I love her spirit and I love her teaching. So moving off of that to unfortunately, I get to speak to you about the parking. Um, as you know, this is a complex. We don't own we don't own everything here. Unfortunately, we do own a couple of buildings, but we don't own everything. And because of that, we do have cones, and most of you are aware of that. And those cones are meant to cone you and me off of that space. Okay, so if it's cone, please don't, please don't park there. Because we have other businesses throughout the complex, and we want to honor them. Uh, we don't want them ticked off at us. We want them to understand that the church in their complex is the best neighbor that they could have. All right? And so just work with us on that, and uh, thank you for your help with that. And I'm not going to launch anybody out of here if you happen to park in one of those spaces today. I'll, I'll be going around and talking to everybody and apologizing for anybody that parked in their spaces. So, But in the future, be aware of that if you would. All right? Thank you very much. God bless you guys. Thank you, Derek. Yep. He gives us like that. I have a few more announcements, um, and then I will be out of your hair, and you can see the main event, which is who we're all here to see. Um, we have just a few things. We're starting the Book of Acts today. Um, we announced that a few weeks ago, um, and Shannon is super excited to be speaking on Acts. I heard that there's a couple of Bible studies that are studying Acts this fall or had just studied Acts, so I think that's kind of cool how God works. Um, we also have some more announcements on the next slide. We got parking. We're good hopefully. Um, we wanted to remind you that if you are a mom or you know someone who is a mom, um, we have free daycare. Um, Shannon has really um, had a passion for moms this last year, and so we had free daycare last year. That goes straight out of the ministry's budget, and so every um, babysitter that we pay is from Mary Shannon Ministries. Um, we are super grateful to be able to provide daycare for moms. We believe it's super important um, for them to come and have just some little time to themselves to fellowship with other moms and hear from Shannon. Um, you can drop off your kids starting at 9.30. So if you're like having a really bad morning and you wanna get here early, um, drop them off. Miss Violet goes straight there <laughs> as soon as I walk in the door. Um, and then feel free to fellowship with moms afterwards too. They'll be here until 11.30, so there's no rush. You don't need to dash there to get your kids. The busy bees are here um, as long as you are here. So please stay, get some coffee and tea afterwards and just fellowship and just enjoy a couple hours to yourself. Um, that's super important. Second, uh, there's coffee in the lobby as well, coffee and tea and also water. That is provided by Life Church. So if you would like to give a donation, whether it's 50 cents or a dollar for your cup, there is a place to do that as well. We're really grateful that they allow us to use their coffee makers and their coffee as well. Um, if you look on your seat, there should be some type of white card. Um, I know that sometimes giving isn't always easy, and so this year we've made it super easy for you. If you feel led to give to Mary Shannon Ministries, um, there are several ways to do so. The first is to go to itsmaryshannon.com slash give. We actually also have a new domain, domain name, but we'll talk about that later. You can also text on your phone. So if you have a phone, which I'm pretty sure like 
90% of you probably have phones in here. Um, you can just text at Shannon to the number 52014, and you can text, and it will take you through how to donate. Lastly, the easiest way is for you just to fill out the card in front of you. You can uh, sign up using recurring monthly payments through your credit card. If you fill out that form, we will take care of the rest. You don't have to go online, you don't have to register. Fill out the form, turn it into us after service, and I'll take care of the rest for you. So we made it easier this year for you to be able to give if that's something that you would like to do. Um, just a reminder too, Shannon's ministry doesn't just go beyond, or doesn't just stop at Tuesday mornings. She has Tuesday nights, women's Bible study. She does Wednesday morning, women's Bible study. And then she also does high school Bible study. But on top of that, um, Shannon's ministry continues every day. She receives crisis calls. She receives calls from parents, moms, etc., cetera, um, who need assistance. And she's willing to mentor them, give them advice, prayer, etc. Um, and she also does speaking events across the country. She's going to be super busy again, but her ministry is not just here in the valley. It's really important that her ministry stays focused in the valley, but her ministry also continues. So a lot of the ministry, honestly, over 50% of it, you don't even see. And so it's really important that we continue to support Shannon through a monetary gift, um, whether that's $5 or whatever you can give to her, that would be greatly appreciated for her to continue to reach the kingdom. Um, all of our social media is on this slide if you want to take a picture. We have our podcast. It has a new name, but it's the same, same podcast. So if you have it already saved on your phone, it's not going to change. We also have her YouTube channel. You can also listen to her messages on her website as well. And then Instagram and Facebook are where you can find a lot of information weekly, what she's up to, um, the events, things like that. Next week, I'll kind of talk about her events calendar. Lastly, is that it? Yeah, we have a phone number now. Um, so if you'd like to call, it will be me probably answering. Um, you can call 602-899-9778. You'll get a voicemail or you'll get me on the other line. Um, so if you have any questions, you need to talk to us about something, feel free to call that number. In a couple weeks, once the ministry has approved, we have a new text service. So we can text you reminders about Bible study. If Bible study is canceled, you will receive a text about it um, that way. We are not having to scramble if Shannon happens to miss a flight for something, etc. So there's that. And then hello at itsmaryshannon.com. Thank you again for being here. Invite your friends and enjoy. Are y'all thrilled? I am so, y'all, we have a phone number. Okay, that is good because you know you have questions sometimes and y'all all want to call me and I'm going to ignore you. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> because it's so hard when you're out and about and doing things and then people will text me and then I'll go, okay, I'm gonna get back to that. But are you great at that? And then you move on. And so it's so nice when you just have a question that we actually have a phone number. And I'm so thrilled that not only do we have a phone number, but we're gonna get back to that texting system so that I can send you alerts. Cause that is the thing that stresses me out the most. When something goes wrong or I get sick, or I miss a flight or whatever that is, It you think you're stressed when you come in and I'm not here? You have no idea the burden I carry when I know that everybody's gearing up to come and I can't be there. And now I know that I have a substitute in the back who, who Derek just gave a real thumbs up to that maybe I'll just throw it her way and she'll just continue it. Yeah, let's give that a hand. Maybe, you know what? Okay, so that's so awesome. And... Uh, uh, Taylor, I love how she said, oh yeah, and you'll be able to see Shannon, you know, what she's doing, like y'all even care, but what she's doing during the week or whatever. And the fact is, we haven't kept you up to date at all over this summer uh, because there's been a lot going on over the summer for me. And um, I am married. Yes. Uh, if you were here at the, the very last Bible study, you met him. The man actually had... Uh, the bravery, the courage to get up on stage in front of all the women, which scared the bejeebers out of him uh, and introduced himself. So that was good. You know, that's nerve wracking because I have so many protectors out here. Um, and so we did get married. And if you recall, we told you we uh, were buying a house. Well, what you don't know is all heck broke loose after we left this place and we did not even end up in the house where he proposed to me. So somebody else is living in a beautiful house 
with a cross on a hill where I got proposed to, but it's okay. It all worked out because, um, yeah, it was a little crazy. We backed out of that house uh, because Rob decided that that was not the house for him and he had not spoken up. And I'm going to tell you, that was a very good lesson in maturity for me because if you remember, May is not a good month for me. Uh, my son passed way in May, so I'm already emotional, and then we backed out of this house, and now I'm like, oh my gosh, where are we going to go? My daughter and son-in-law were moving from Colorado back to Phoenix, and they're renting my house, praise the Lord, uh, but that means we needed to get out. I did not want to start my marriage all together. Woohoo, that's so fun. And um, so I was feeling the pressure and the disappointment and lost money and just all that jazz. But you know what it showed me is that we've come a long way at this age, or at least we should, in communication. Because I was able to say to him, I'm super upset. My emotions are out of whack. Like I, this has sent me over the edge and I cannot control the emotion. But logically, yay you. Good job. You should have used your voice. I'm glad you told me this is not uh, the house for you because the worst scenario would be for us to get in a house where you can't tinker and you don't have any room and uh, all of these rules are going to just make you feel in prison. And then guess what? Then you're bitter and then we're starting off bad. Am I upset? Yeah, I can't stand your guts right now and I can't even uh, speak. I said, but... Yay, you, I'm proud. Maybe in the future, speak up a little earlier, uh, but it's all good. And so I said, but I got to write out these emotions. I just got to write them out. And lo and behold, there was a house that I had my eye on way back when we were just talking, but you know, it's in this neighborhood that I loved. I, I could barely sniff the neighborhood. And, um, but his house didn't sell in time. And I thought, oh, no big deal. So after this, guess what? A house came up in that neighborhood. And I'm like, what? No way. I go, let's go. I landed from the weekend, from my Zach anniversary weekend. Hillary and I went to Nashville, real emotional weekend. And I landed and immediately went to see this house. And it needed a lot of work. But I saw it and the bones were awesome. And it was what he wanted. And I was like, and, and we, when I say barely sniff, I'm like, we might get in this neighborhood. And so we were like, well, what do we do? I said, let's make him an offer. And our real estate agent goes, let's play the game. I go, in this scenario, in this time? And he goes, let's do it. We offered them so low, you'd fall off your chair. Uh, we literally went $25,000 below asking, which is unheard of today. And so I thought, ah, there's no way, right? 24 hours they had to answer. They call us. My real estate agent calls us back and says, hey, Shannon, are you sitting down? And I go, no, why? And he said, in all my years of doing real estate, it's been a long time, I've seen the rules broken twice, and you're one of them, every rule. This woman accepted your offer. I go, what? What do you mean she accepted our offer? Like she countered? And he goes, no, she accepted your offer. And the thing is even crazier because she was getting two more offers by the end of the night. And her real estate agent called her. She lives in Texas. Um, they've owned a jillion investment properties. Her husband had passed away and she was selling houses. And uh, she lives in Texas. She's my neighbor one month out of the year, I hear. I can't wait to meet her. Um, but... She was in Texas, and, and so the real estate agent called her and said, hey, you're getting two more offers tonight, but we need to answer this couple. And she said, it's late here in Texas. I'm ready to go to bed. She said, I told you this afternoon, I don't need the money. Give it to the veteran. And I'm like, what? And so I know there are still people out there that like that. And we go, What? And then her real estate agent uh, talked to Terry Mine and goes, wait a minute, Shannon Hoffpower? Is this Mary Shannon? And, and he goes, yes, Donna. And she goes, oh, well, that's God. That, that's why this makes sense. And then Terry laughed. He goes, yeah, and you know what street she's living on? And she looks down at the address and she starts laughing and she goes, Hope Drive. 
I know. I live on West Hope Drive. Now, with all of that said, like, we got it. We gutted it. Okay, so that's how I would start a new marriage. Wouldn't you? And here's the thing. Then you think, oh, this house has been given by God. Everything's going to go so smoothly because he has blessed it, right? Well, first off, it started off with the loan, which was a dang nightmare to get. Have you gotten a house loan lately? And it is the craziest thing because the mortgage companies didn't want to accept my income because it is a nonprofit. And I uh, got my own nonprofit about a year or so ago. So they counted me as self-employed. Have you done this before? And if you're self-employed, you have to have a two-year uh history. And I'm like, I'm not self-employed. I work for a nonprofit with my name on it. I'm board run. I really don't control anything. I get a W-2 for my own ministry. This is, do you think they cared? No. I was like, do you want my last child? I mean, what do you want to get this loan, right? So what they did is they ran it under Rob. So let me tell you about our uh, financial industry. They all, they'll accept a loan that actually practically should never work and deny one that practically should, right? But the bottom line, we got the loan. The funny thing is, is they kept saying all this time, y'all have to get married to get a VA loan. So we, not that we weren't getting married people. I'm not gonna shack up. You can trust me, okay? But what I'm saying is it was the timeline, right? So then we were planning, trying to, okay, we're gonna get married because a VA loan, you have to be married. Okay, we'll do this. Well, guess what? Then when they wouldn't approve me, we get an emergency call three days before we're gonna get married saying, whatever you do, don't get married. <laughs> do you see why I didn't announce anything to y'all? What am I supposed to do? Hey, can't wait. We're getting married on June 12th. Oh, psych. Can't get married on June 12th. We're going to get. So because if we had gotten married, he would have assumed all of my debt, which is my house that I'm renting out and not had my income. So we would, I mean, it's a nightmare. So let me tell you what happened. That dang house closed on June 16th and we and our family went straight to CCV that night and we got hitched. And I'm telling you, yeah, and it was sweet and intimate. And then guess what? The next day, we spent the night somewhere else that night. And then the next day, we show up at our brand new house that is now completely gutted. And we started this process all summer. Our first fight was over baseboards. And we made it through. And so this is what we have been doing all summer long is redoing a house. So to tell you, I've had no downtime. I'm physically exhausted. But what I've realized is, man, am I thirsty for Bible study. How about you? It didn't take me long to realize that when I get out of that rhythm, I'm a wretched person. Do you ever feel that way? I mean, I got to the place where I was like, I can't stand people. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of that. And I'm like, oh, okay, Shannon, you got to get your face and, and insecurities and different. I was all over the place. And I'm thinking, that's because I'm off center. I've got to get back. Are y'all ready to get back? Now, I will say this. I'm out of shape. I started studying. I'm like, whoa, do I even know what I'm doing? But it is so marvelous, and I am so excited about Acts, I cannot even tell you, because as I've started studying last night, I went on a walk in my neighborhood, and I literally became so emotional, thinking of what my soul is seeing in the pages of the Bible. And I was walking, and I just kept saying, Lord, you're marvelous. You are marvelous beyond words. This gospel story, this story of the kingdom, is so amazing, I'm overwhelmed by it. And then I thought, I'm so overwhelmed by it, but have you ever learned something in your soul? So I've been studying a long time, so I see things, but I felt like I was seeing something in my soul that I was not adequate to put into words to give to you. And that's a lot of, I put that pressure on myself. How am I going to take all that I'm seeing of all over the place and how beautiful this narrative that God has put together and how am I ever going to give you all that I have in here? 
And then I thought, well, Shannon, what book are you studying? Acts, which I believe is not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, right. You can't. But the Holy Spirit can. And that's what I'm trusting. My mentor, uh, Professor Proverb, sent me a text yesterday and said, hey, sister, are you ready to teach Acts? And I said, actually, no, I'm ready to learn Acts. I go, because I need Acts. And all I'm going to do, to be quite honest, is to tell you as much as possible what I learn. That's it. And I'm very excited we're in this book. Leave it to me to pick Daniel and then to follow it up with Acts. And I'm going to tell you, someone asked me, are we going to get through Acts in a year? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And here's the thing. I don't have to. This is my ministry. <laughs> I can do anything I want to do to a point. You know, it's not a sermon. I don't have to come in and start and finish in 30 minutes. I do have to start and finish in an hour, but I'm just saying that I don't have to. And you know what? That is the beauty of Bible study. Because I want to give you all that I see and want to give you. And trust me, I limit it. There's way more. But I don't want to be rushed. And so I'm going to do my best to keep us moving along and make it applicable. But I can't tell you if I'm going to be through this in a year. So maybe you have just started a two-year commitment with me. All right? We'll see. But we're only going to get through maybe, I don't know, six verses today. So uh, let's open it up, and let me just read to you um, some introductory verses, and then we're going to begin to uh, walk through the verses of Acts. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I love you. And God, studying your word, honestly, was I was parched, like taking a big old drink. It's so, sometimes it's like taking a drink out of a fire hydrant, Lord, and it's, it's too much. And it's, it's overwhelming in the most marvelous of ways. And I feel the pressure at times to live up to something. And part of that's my achiever personality. And God, don't let that get in the way of robbing my joy of spending time in the Word and having you teach me and then me be your witness. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be very powerful in and through me and that you would do the teaching. And so, God, we're so excited to start out the year. And Lord, I just pray that you would move in the hearts of these women to stick to it. There are so many distractions in our life. I mean, I don't have a vanity right now. Lord, you know, I got all kinds of things that could distract me and take my attention. But God, let's make this a priority. Because I have realized over the summer, when I, when I don't have my eyes truly fixed on you and my face in the book, man, it's very easy to spiral. And so God, may this be a commitment this year to stay true to Bible study, to bring friends, to keep our face in the book. This be one hour that we protect in the week um, so that we can be filled up with your word. And God, I love you. I just pray that uh, I would always be true and authentic to what you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he lifted up and a cloud took him up out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Ooh, so good. So Acts, the question is, if you ever start studying Acts, the first thing you're gonna have to look at or the first thing they will address is what kind of book is this? Is this actual history? Is this theology? Is it drama, rhetoric? All kinds of titles have been given to this book. And the fact is, I see many of those elements all wrapped up in one in this book. Is this history? Yes. Acts is rooted in concrete history. R.C. Sproul said this, Luke, Luke has been esteemed as the most accurate historian of the ancient world. Listen, you cannot prove some of the things in the 21st century from the book of Acts. So for example, you cannot prove that an angel Gabriel came and appeared to uh, Zachariah in the gospel of Luke, that you can't heap appeared to Zachariah or Mary. I mean, what are we going to look for? Petrified angel wings? I mean, we can't. But what can be proven in history has, such as the rulers at the time over certain cities and and providences, um, descriptions of the different cities and what they were like. And you may not think that's a big deal because in our day and age, I don't have to go somewhere to find out what a city is like. Why not? I could actually write about a city that I have never been to. Why? We have the internet. Okay, we can Google and do whatever and find out about all kinds of things all over the world, but they did not have that ability. And so as as we see all of the people and the places and the cultures, all of them have been proven to be true. Um, There was a British scholar by the name of William Ramsey, and he set out to discredit, he's from the 20th century, he set out to discredit the historicity of the book of Luke, Acts, okay? His writings, he set out to discredit. This is what he ended up saying. The more I have studied the narrative of Acts and the more I have learned year after year about Greco-Roman society and thoughts and fashions and organization in those provinces, The more I admire and the better I understand. I set out to look for truth in the borderland where Greece and Asia meet, and I found it here. You may press the words of Luke in a degree beyond any other historians, and they stand through the keenest scrutiny and the hardest treatment, provided always that the critic knows the subject and does not go beyond the limits of science and justice. He set out because he wanted to disprove the historicity of the works of Luke, and he ended up becoming a believer. So is it a history book? Yes, the history is true. Is it a theology book? I say yes, because although his events and facts are historically true, it's interesting the ones he picked Because sometimes he picked an event that really, according to our world uh, measurements, he may choose an event that was a much smaller event than some church over here, some revival where more people came to know the Lord. So the numbers were higher, the measurements were higher. It seemed like a more important event, but he didn't choose to write about it in length. He may mention it in a sentence. But then there's another event that happens in this tiny church and he gives it all kinds of material. Why? Because he has a point. And that's theology, meaning he picked historical events to use 
He picked the ones that proved his point. And so I do believe it is a book of theology. But think about this. Don't most historians do the same thing? When you watch documentaries, think about this, and you're learning our history, they're all over like Prime Video and all this. You hear about World War II or what happened in our culture back then. What are historians doing? They are telling you about historical events, some big, some not so big, that you weren't even aware of. And what do they do? They tie them together as a narrative, and they give their educated opinion about how those events, those events change the fabric of our world. Is that not what? If you were at CCV last week, uh, this last weekend, and you heard Ashley's sermon, uh, he's entering into a series on sexuality, and if you missed it, you need to go back and watch it because it's phenomenal. In my opinion, it was so good and courageous and truthful and humble and loving, and all of those things. But do you remember what he said the point of that first message in the series was? How did we get here? And so what did he do? He went back and he talked about historical things, the sexual revolution and various other things, to show us how these historical events pushed our culture to a certain place. So is Luke history? Yes, Is Luke theology? Yes. Some people say it's drama, and they say that because of the language that Luke uses when he describes things like, um, you know, being in a storm in the sea and Paul going down in the ship and the whole wreckage and, and all that, like it's a drama unfolding. Well, I believe he does that because I think he is trying to uh, put across to whoever Theophilus is, and we're going to talk about that. Um, He wants him to experience this journey. He wants him to see the actual historical events. He wants to push a theological point, and that is Jesus is the risen Lord and he is king. And he wants him to experience it through the words that he puts down. And he also includes speeches, which most historians include speeches. So I think it is all of that and we can count on it. Think about this. During this age, books were not typed. They were not digital. I was laughing at my friend the other day because she was so mad because she thought she downloaded the actual book. And what she did is she downloaded the audio version and it was so much more expensive. And I just got tickled. I said, oh, first world problems. I mean, we actually have books now that we can have someone read to. I mean, like we can hear them, right? They didn't have that. They wrote them on scrolls, on parchment paper. And the average maximum length of these parchments were 35 feet, okay? That's about as much as you could get into one scroll and it not be so burdensome to carry around. And so with that said, I want you to understand that Acts is basically a two-part of a whole, It's like Acts is the sequel to the gospel of Luke. And I believe that they were written as one, but in length, they were divided into two what? Scrolls. And over time, we know that, uh, and by the way, what they would do is these scrolls were so precious I mean, at times, yes, they were copied and you would have certain copies that could be passed around, but they were precious. And so what would happen is they would travel to different churches and they would use them and study them and keep them together. And over time in the early church, it was the four gospels that ended up being kept together so that they could study the gospel. And in that process, Acts kind of became its own. All right, but I need you to understand that they were really written together. This is like um, everything he is saying about what Jesus did in the gospel. It's like, and act two, okay, part two, it's happening. Sometimes you will even have people refer to them still together, Luke slash Acts, as one work. 
So he begins by telling Theophilus that his first book was about what Jesus began to do. This is what we read. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So first off, who is Theophilus? Well, that's a really good question. We don't really know who he is. We know that his name means lover of God, or it could actually mean too, loved by God. So some people try to just uh, view it in a general way that Luke is writing to all lovers of God. All right? Boy, that's easy. I, that's not my view, and I don't really have a real hard view, but I don't, I don't really go there. I actually think he is um, a person, um, and I think Luke, in his gospel, fills us in a little bit more. So look at Luke chapter 1, and let's read the intro to that, because remember, this is the second of a two-part series says this, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So here we have this added phrase, most excellent Theophilus. That's significant because in the ancient world, often major publications were dedicated to members of nobility. And so most people feel like he is some form of nobility. And nobility, you know, anytime you were around nobility, they had gracious titles, you know, most excellent. We don't refer to people like that anymore. But uh, so many come to the conclusion that this was someone uh, that was high up in antiquity and that he could be a believer or definitely a seeker, and that at some point he has freed Luke um, to go and become a companion of Paul so that he can investigate the way, this movement, the gospel, and that he can then send back a very informed piece of work so that he, he would know. I'm just going to tell you how I've always pictured it. Now I'm beginning to picture a little bit different, but I've always pictured him as a prominent man that has somehow encountered Jesus. He's heard about the kingdom and he's not able to go himself. Now listen, write this in pencil in your head. I don't know. Okay, this is what I'm thinking. <laughs> there are some things I tell you you got to write in pen. And there are some things I tell you that write in pencil. If you've watched The Chosen, there are some things about The Chosen I would say it's pencil. There are some things about The Chosen dead on, according to Scripture, all right? And so I think he chose the smartest man he knew, Luke. We know some things about Luke. We don't know a lot. We know he's a Gentile. We know that he's Greek based on his name. And by the way, most doctors in the Roman Empire were Greek. And we know that he was a doctor. How do we know this? Colossians 4. Because Paul says, you know our good friend Luke, the doctor? <laughs> there it is. All right. We know that he writes in classic Greek, which means that his language has a higher syntax than any other gospel writer. Meaning what? He's a smart guy. His vocabulary, he's got all kinds of medical vocabulary. He looks at things in a more detailed way and orderly. It is like um, he is writing something that would be up for a 
I mean, this is literature that would be up for a review, okay? He is writing at that level. He reminds me of, I've told you before, of a man by the name of Hank Hanegraaff. If you've ever heard of him, he's called the Bible Answer Man. He's been around for years, and I've had the opportunity to sit with him two or three times. And I think I told you the first time I ever got to sit with him, my one friend was sitting there, and in about 15 minutes, she said, I got to go, but I'll talk to y'all later. Okay, and I sat with him for two hours. She then texted me back that day, and she said, hey, can you call me and give me the version of what he said? Because I could not understand a word that was coming out of that man's mouth. He has the best use of the English vocabulary I've ever heard. And I'm going to tell you, honest to goodness, probably every fourth word I didn't understand, but I just knew it in context well enough to fill in the blank, right? That's how I, I just picture Luke being like that. He was such an intelligent man. But what you need to understand is doctors in that day were not doctors like today. Okay, doctors are the ones who have the big houses, they're wealthy, you know, and in many ways, well, we used to say, you know, doctors ruled us, but the insurance companies rule everybody right now. So I don't think it's not the same. But it definitely wasn't the same then because doctors honestly were more like servants. Some would even say slaves. And they very often worked for nobility as a servant and they took care of that family and all of their slaves or they went from house to house as a servant trying to do that. So don't picture a doctor like we see doctors today. So in my mind, I always thought of this noble man who had great status and wealth, and he had experienced the way he had heard about the kingdom or the gospel and things that had been taught. He wanted to know more. He could not go. He had had some experience, maybe with Paul, and he sent Luke to go be his companion. He supported him in some way. And Luke was writing back this detailed book. Maybe. Some people think that Theophilus was a Roman official. And this is very interesting because uh, many, like I said, many pieces of work were uh, actually not donated. What's the word? Uh, given in honor of certain officials, and they believe that this was basically a document that was given to educate the Roman officials uh, as a defense piece for Paul at his trial. Very interesting. To give them the background of what has occurred with this Jesus and this risen Lord and these witnesses that are going out and these churches that are starting and showing the historicity of the events of what's taking place. And so it's history and it's theology and it's drama because he wants this official to understand truly the background of what is going on as a defense for Paul at trial. And, and uh, some people say, and it's very interesting too, that all through Luke, Luke's writing, Roman officials are always uh, written about in a positive light. So if you are trying to uh, inform or uh, persuade, that's why there's rhetoric in there, persuasion. If you are trying to persuade a, a Roman official on behalf of Paul, yeah, you might not want to slam them in your work. You might want to be very uh, respectful. I think that is super probable. Okay, so there you go. And uh, if you're into stuff like that, you can investigate that further. I think it's interesting that maybe if it's the noble guy, that version, something interesting might have happened at Troas, and we're going to get there, because in Acts chapter 16, all of a sudden, uh, Luke stops talking in the third person and starts talking in the first person that now he has gone to be a companion with Paul. All right, so he goes on to say, now we've handled Theophilus, all right? I'm sure y'all were dying to know all that. Who is Theophilus? But see, I like knowing stuff like that. It brings it to life. It makes it real. Who is he writing to? Well, here are some thoughts. 
This is real life. These are real people. Things are happening. He goes, I have dealt with all Jesus began to do before he was taken up. After he had given am I out? commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. But remember, these are the opening statements to basically a second volume. So what he is saying is the first one I wrote you is all about what Jesus began to do, but the second volume is going to be what Jesus, what? Continues to do, which is so interesting considering the fact that only the first nine verses really literally contain him. So how is it that the work of Jesus is continued through the book of Acts? Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And isn't that what he promised? If you were with me through John, and I think I've preached this to you several times, had he not promised this? Let me take you back. Do you remember in John, like 14, 15, 16, uh, we're coming out of the triumphal entry. And remember, Jesus is coming in. It's Passover weekend. And he's coming in and he's riding on the donkey. Are y'all with me? And they are waving palm branches and they are singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who's coming in the name of the Lord. And I taught you all about that in the past, but bottom line, they are hoping that he will be a promised earthly king that will gain Jewish independence over the Romans. And they are hoping that he will be, he will do to the Romans what Judas Maccabeus did to the Greeks. That's what they're hoping and believing. And we know that, and we know that the disciples are also thinking this. They're like, heck yeah, we've gone viral, man. This is what we've been waiting for. Because what are they doing when they walk into the upper room? They're arguing. And what are they arguing about? Who will be the greatest? So if you think this is an earthly king setting up an earthly empire, then you know there are positions available and you want them. And so this is how it's going. In their mind, he has been the David waiting in the background to finally assume his throne. And if that's the case, there are positions and they want him. But then some cuckoo happens. They walk in. And instead, Jesus removes his outer garment, wraps his waist in a towel, and begins to wash their feet. So instead of giving them another lecture after three years, he literally acts out a parable in their sight. And what is he saying? You got it all wrong, guys. Yeah, I got a kingdom. But the only position in my kingdom is that of a servant. You see, I have a cross coming. And if you're going to follow me and be my witness, so do you. Because the way that we are going to bring about this kingdom is laying down our own lives and being a servant. The thing that is going to usher in the kingdom of heaven on earth is love. Sacrificial love. You cannot imagine the power that that has. And if you remember then, he goes on after the washing of the feet, and he says, you need to know this, this half power version, you need to know this because I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't come. Oh, and by the way, one of you is going to betray me, and Peter, you're going to deny me. They are beside themselves. And so what does he do? The first thing he does is he calms some fear, and he says, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled because they're troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if I've gone to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you where I am. So he calms their nerves and says, listen, yeah, it's bad. It's going to be bad. But at the end of this long, dusty road, you've got a room with your name on it. You are secure. You are in my father's house, meaning you are family. Let's get that out of the way. Your destination is secure. But right now, you guys are sad because you think something's coming to an end. 
And I'm telling you, it's not coming to an end. You ain't seen nothing yet. This is what he says. John 14, starting in 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this, what's the rest of it? You probably don't have memories. This I will do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. It goes on to say that if you love me, you will keep my commands. By the way, what are his commands? Because did you just go back in your mind to the Ten Commandments? Love God and love people. That's it. Right? If you love me, this is what's going to come out of you. This is what it is. And he says, love God, love people. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another means one of the same kind to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Why is it the spirit of truth? Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. Why not? Because this is, this is the world. This is the spirit of another world, a heavenly world. It does not recognize it. And it says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He's taught them all of this from John. What is he saying? The work that Jesus began, Luke is saying the work that Jesus began in my gospel, he is going to continue. And although I'm only going to talk to him about him literally for nine verses, the work is going to be continued because the work is going to be continued through who? The Holy Spirit, meaning it is Jesus's work through his disciples, through his apostles, by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of the Father. That's how he always works. I dare you to find him working outside of the Trinity anywhere in the Bible. You see it in creation. It was the will of the Father. How did he do it? through the Son, by the power, the engine of the Holy Spirit. How about our salvation? It was the will of the Father that all come to know Jesus Christ. How? Through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then how does it produce? How do we become regenerated? The power of the Holy Spirit. He is saying, my first book was about what he began. My second one is going to be about what he will continue to do through his witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I get relieved when I hear that. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the same idea as Elijah handing his mantle down to who? Elisha. And Elisha asks for a double portion. Jesus is saying, listen, it ain't over. You haven't seen anything yet. You're going to see greater things than these, not in like, uh, you know, in like drama. I mean, we're not going to see what's greater than walking on the water, healing the sick, creating supernatural food and raising the dead. He's talking about multitude, okay? The network, the fact that when the Holy Spirit comes, it's gonna light that fire and spread. And this is what he's talking about. And so that's why I believe this book should be named the Acts of Jesus, right? Through the apostles by the power of the Spirit. Keep in mind, Luke did not name this Acts, the Acts of the Apostle. The early church did that later, okay? He didn't give this a title like that. And so I truly believe it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It says this in verse three, he presented himself alive to them 
after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, I think this is so interesting because um, this is called recapitulation. So all you need to know about that, it's like when you repeat something, And then when you repeat it or you come back and tell the story you've told before, you give added information. Okay, this does not mean that the first time you told it, it was wrong. Have you not ever done that? Based on the time or the point, you tell a story with what you think needs to be in it. But then later on, what might you do? You're going to come back And you're going to retell the story. The main parts are there, but you may add information to that story for a point. And that's what we get. So what I want you to be familiar with before we get into that, because I'm running out of time. I want you to be familiar right now with how Luke ended his gospel. Okay, so go to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to read the end of Luke's gospel. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Do you know who that we is? It's the women. Okay. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their face to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Why are there only eleven? Judas gone. Okay. Now... It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. You know I can't ignore this just for a second. Okay, someday I'm going to teach you about women. But anyway, you do realize Mary was the apostle to the apostles. Mary Magdalene was the apostle to the apostles. This is such a redemptive story Uh, that we're seeing, don't miss it. Because although through Eve, right, sin came to Adam and Adam made a choice with his eyes wide open and then sin came to mankind. Look what Jesus does. The first one he appears to is what? A woman, Mary Magdalene, who ended up being the apostle to the apostles, allowing a woman to be the agent of the first verses of the risen Lord who has redeemed all things. And can I tell you, redeemed all things that were a result of sin. That's all I'm going to say, and I'll come back to that some other time. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home and marveled at what had happened. Okay, so so who has he appeared to so far? Women, and they've told. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Like, dude, where, what'd you do this weekend? Where have you been? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth and who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women 
of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning him. Wow, I would have loved to have been on that journey. Can you imagine? So they drew near the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. There is no way they wanted him to leave. They would have wanted more. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and aha, then their eyes were open. And by the way, I want you to think they never ever questioned if this was a real flesh and blood human being walking on that road with them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished before their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So they get back to the 11. The 11 are talking about how the Lord has appeared to Simon. And then they say, Then they told him what had happened on the road and that he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And then this gets crazy. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself, poof, stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Can you imagine? Peace, shalom, hello. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why, do, and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet? It's me. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and, blown, and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveled, he said to them, have you have anything in here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before him. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalm must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses and behold, I am sending the promise of the father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power. So we have heard at the end of 24, I'm done. At the end of 24, He appeared, right? All we know at the end of the gospel, he appeared to these women. He appeared to the men on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to the disciples, right? We know this. And now with recapitulation, looking at the first part of Acts, we're told a lot more and we're gonna be told even more. He's not only appeared to them, He actually stayed around for 40 days because at the end of Luke, they tell us this and then boom, his ascension. But we're given more information. It's not that fast. It wasn't in a day. He stayed around for 40 days and he taught them about the kingdom. And when we come back next week, you're gonna find out that ain't all. He didn't just appear to them. He appeared to over 500 people at one time. And Paul says, and by the way, he goes, they're still alive, go check. Paul would never say that if you couldn't check, go check. And he appeared to me. What you need to know going out of here is the foundational thing that Luke is trying to tell you. It is the essential for everything we believe. It's the essential for his book and everything is that he was an absolute real flesh and blood risen king, Lord. 
And so we're going to begin to see as we get started, what is going to happen after Jesus comes up out of that grave? What difference does it make? What is this going to start? And man, is this going to be a good journey? I mean, I can't wait. I always prepare too much, don't think I have enough, and I never get a third of the way through. That's the way it happens. Okay, let me ask you, how many of you are excited to take this journey? Yeah, because I will tell you, the book of Acts does not end. It is one of the books. It seems to end abruptly, but it does that because it doesn't end, because it continues through you. We're living out still the book of Acts. Now, I personally believe we're not doing it as efficient because I don't believe we any longer understand the true gospel of the kingdom. And when you understand that, it's going to change everything you thought you knew. And you want to talk about meaning and purpose in this life, that's going to give it to you. Because if you think the gospel message is proclaiming Jesus, saying a prayer so that you can be escaped out to some celestial heaven out there, you've missed the boat. That is not the gospel of the kingdom. All right? So stay committed. I'll stay committed. And we will love our way through the book of Acts. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning and just the introductory uh, verses. So much, Lord, so much. I thank you for Dr. Luke. I thank you for Dr. Luke. I thank you for the intelligence you gave him. I thank you that he had the personality to write down such an account. If not, we would have no idea how things got started and what happened and how in the world did Christianity get to Rome. I'm so thankful, God, for the early church. I'm thankful that they were absolutely a mess, imperfect, but they had been lit on fire by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you will press upon our hearts that we are a part of something. We are your witnesses in your kingdom and that it will be through our love that this world is transformed. God, I pray that you would uh, be with me as I study your scripture and that you would help me just bring it forth in a way that just honors you. May we come out of here filled with the Holy Spirit um, so that we can ask anything in your name and you'll do it all for the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I have really two quick announcements. One big praise. We have 30 kids here today. Which is double of what we had last year. So it, that's amazing. Um, I had being kids all day and it was great. Secondly, if you have a, um, a giving card and you have filled it out, Violet and I will be um, outside at the table and you can just drop that off. If you'd like to mail it, we also have stamps and envelopes in the lobby. So feel free to drop that off and we'll see you next week. Hey, can I just tell you this? You want to know why I'm so thrilled that we have, uh, you can leave, you don't have to listen to me, but uh, why I'm so thrilled that we have kids, because when we have kids, we have young moms. And I'm going to tell you, and I say this all the time, and it's in my testimony. If it had not been for the years that I had spent in Bible study, and the fact that those Bible studies brought me around women of all ages and wisdom, and I, and I did abide with them, but by having my face in the book, I used to think that gave me a blessed life until my life wasn't so blessed. And that was a whole bad way to look at it. But what it did is when the wheels of my life came off because this world is like that, it kept me grounded and it was the anchor of my soul. It is imperative that young moms who are pouring out to everybody else get filled up by the word of God. Amen. Please invite them. All right. Have a good week. What are you doing?